0: Good morning, church family. Thank you again for being with us this morning. We are in the midst of a series called Dangerous Prayers. We've been talking about prayers, the power of prayers, and the power of dangerous prayers. When we pray them, we expect God to answer them. Um, Mother Teresa, years ago when she was asked, when you pray, what do you say to God? And Mother Teresa said, "Um, I I don't say anything, I just listen. Then the interviewer said, well, um, when you pray, Mother Teresa, what does God say to you? Mother Teresa said, God doesn't say anything. He just listens. Now, I pray for us this morning that as we enter into this third week of dangerous prayers, that we will listen. We will be brave enough to listen to God, uh, to be still enough to listen to God. Let me, let me pray over us. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just uh, I pray your presence be with us in a powerful way this morning. And Lord, I pray that uh, in the midst of the music and the words and communion, that we will be still enough to know that you are our God and that you speak to us in those whispers. I pray this over our gathered body. I pray this in your son Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you, folks, for sharing your gifts with us. Special thanks to the musicians and the, and the choir members, but also special thanks for um, Ann Griffin and her family for sharing their gifts, their musical gifts, so thanks for that. Just a couple, of three announcements before we get started. One, our nominating team is in action right now, looking forward to filling roles, officer roles, board roles, elder roles, deacon roles for the upcoming year, starting in, in June of 2021, so uh, we're accepting nominations for that through the church office. Just um, send your nominations to the church office, or if you want to be nominated for a position, um, just nominate that through the church office. Attention, Angela Miller. We're accepting nominations through February 7th. Um, The next announcement is we're going to do our second town hall meeting. That's going to be on Tuesday night, February 9th at 7 p.m. Need to register for that? Just go to our homepage. Right on the homepage, there'll be a a button to click on and, and you'll register for that. We'll send you a Zoom link. From there, we look forward to just a dialogue. Pastor Ike and I will be a part of that. We look forward to dialogue questions about where we are as a church, where we're going, what's COVID look like going forward, and, and we look forward to that, that conversation. And lastly, we've, we've added a couple of uh, new small groups and classes. If you want to be a part of that, just go to our homepage, and there's a place just to click on that. So I'm going to pass it to Pastor Ike and his powerful message on wisdom this morning.
1: Lord of my heart, give me vision to inspire. Me.
2: Give me light to guide me.
1: Give me wisdom to direct me.
2: Give me courage to strengthen me.
1: Give me trust
0: to console
1: me.
3: Well, good morning and welcome again to the online ministry at South Suburban Christian Church. Thank you for taking time to join us. If this is your first time, we want to extend a special welcome. uh, Whether you're with us at our online.church platform Or if you're watching on YouTube or listening to us on our podcasts, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. We appreciate your taking time out of your day to join us as together we look into God's Word and hear God's vision, uh, God's mission for our lives together as the church and for our lives as followers of Jesus. We're in this uh, series, uh, Dangerous Prayers, and we're looking at a Celtic prayer And I would ask you as we begin uh, our uh, time together this morning that you join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer, uh, praying together this Celtic prayer. Lord of our heart, give us vision to inspire us, that working or resting we may always think of you. Lord of our heart, give us light to guide us, that at home or abroad we may always walk in your way. Lord of our heart, give us wisdom to direct us that thinking or acting we may always discern right from wrong lord of our heart give us courage to strengthen us that amongst friends or enemies we may always proclaim your justice lord of our heart give us trust to console us that hungry or well fed we may always rely on your mercy amen today we are continuing in uh, our series looking at these uh, various petitions, these five petitions, these five prayers, these dangerous prayers, and this morning we're looking at uh, Lord of our heart, give us wisdom to direct us. I want to share with us today a text from the uh, book of First Corinthians uh, in your New Testament, uh, Paul's letter, first letter to the church at Corinth, First Corinthians, chapter one, uh, beginning in verse eighteen and reading through verse 25. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to follow along as together we read God's Word. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than humanity, and the weakness of God is stronger than that of humans. Here ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. May he add his blessing and his understanding to it. Amen. Amen. Well, as we continue in our series, Dangerous Prayers, the petition that we're looking at this week, as I've already said, is Lord of our hearts, give us wisdom to direct us, that thinking or acting we may always discern right from wrong. I don't know if you have seen the Behind the Series uh, episodes that Pastor Joe and I have done that we have shared with you, but this series began as five pastors from various churches across the United States began to come together somewhere near the end of October, the beginning of November. As we were looking at what it would be like to continue to do the work of the church through this time of pandemic, but specifically looking about what it will be like uh, to do ministry in the name of Christ, hopefully soon post-pandemic. And as we began to pray together and talk together, uh, certain scriptures began to come out. And this was one of them for this week for uh, asking the Lord to give us wisdom. You know what I find really amazing about that is is when, when, when we were together praying and discussing and, and reading God's word together months ago, how appropriate the texts that we chose back then would fit our context in these days. This dangerous prayer, "Lord of our hearts, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom. Now, I guess we need to spend some time on that. So one of the things that I want to uh, uh, share with you today uh, with regard to wisdom and a dangerous prayer is, is that the dangerous prayer that asks for God's wisdom is deeply offensive to those who are perishing. I want you to hear that. The dangerous prayer that asks for God's wisdom is deeply offensive to those who are Perishing. Now, 1 Corinthians is a letter that is written to the church at Corinth. Um, These are uh, Christians that live in a southern city in what is today Greece. And uh, Paul is actually responding, uh, most scholars believe, to a letter that's been sent to him. And uh, in the, what we can discern by looking at 1 Corinthians is, is that the church at Corinth has had all of these problems, all of these struggles and issues, and so pre- presumably the elders of the church uh, write a letter and send it to Paul, asking him, can you answer these questions? Can you help us discern what is true, what is going on in our church is really tearing us apart? Help us figure out a way forward. And so Paul writes back to them this letter, which is called 1 Corinthians. He's going to write another letter called 2 Corinthians. Uh, and in this letter, if you were to sit down and outline all of 1 Corinthians, the way it would look is, is that each, it's almost like there's sections and there's like this sentence that kind of sticks out in the middle of, of, of Paul's uh, flow of thought and his writing. And, and most who study 1 Corinthians think that, that what Paul is doing is that he's quoting a piece from the letter they sent them sent i'm sorry sent him and so he quotes that in his letter and then he responds to that and so when you're reading first corinthians you you look for those those sentences that sort of catch you off guard most likely those are the sentences that uh, are not uh, from paul's hand but are from the letter that the church had sent to paul um so as they're dealing with these issues, Paul begins this letter restating uh, sort of the overarching theme of what he sees as the Corinthian church's big biggest problem. Now if you go back and you look in verses 10 through 17, Paul begins to deal with with these problems. They're problems of factions, of divisions within the church, factions which have formed around uh, various Christian leaders. If you look there, he says, some of you say that I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. I mean, in, in our contemporary society, you might say, you know, I'm a Presbyterian, I'm a Baptist, I'm, an, I'm a non-denominational, I'm, I'm an Episcopalian, I'm a Roman Catholic. Um, we haven't changed a whole lot since, since the first century, have we? Not only do we have factions in our church, but those factions in our church, the church of Jesus Christ, is, is a reflection of the divisions and factionalizations that we see in our world. One of the constants of human beings is we always like to put ourselves in a box, put other people in boxes so that we can distinguish whether you're one of us or I'm one of you. You know, what Paul says, Paul's response to to these personality cults uh, that are going on in, in, in the time that this letter was written, is intended to remind the Corinthian believers that Christian unity and fellowship is centered upon the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not on those of us who proclaim the cross, but it's the cross itself that those of us who proclaim the cross, our role is to point the, the world to the cross and not to ourselves. I will disappoint you. I will fail you. But the cross will never fail you. Christ will never abandon you. Now, beginning in verse 18, uh, Paul begins building on that truth, that we are unified by the cross of Christ, and he begins to teach why the cross, and not personalities, are the focal point of our faith. Essentially, what Paul is saying here is that the cross of Christ is the power of God, that the cross of Christ is the wisdom of God. You see, when we are praying for God's wisdom, we are praying for an awareness, a clarity of the cross of Jesus Christ in our life, for us, for our family, for our friends, for the world. This is a message that these Corinthians desperately need to hear. And frankly, it's a message that the world, you and me, need to hear again and again and again. In a very real way, Paul is warning these Corinthians that they need to reject the direction that some in their midst were trying to lead them, a direction that says, you know, the the, the cross is is, is not how we know God. Uh, The cross is, is, is not the symbol upon which we should gaze for our redemption and our salvation. It is a struggle that Uh, impacts the church even today. In verse 21, Paul just lays it out there. The world does not know God through wisdom. Now the wisdom he's talking about here is a distinctive wisdom different from the wisdom of God. So what Paul is drawing a comparison between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world. And many of us in the world today rely upon our human and worldly wisdom to discover God or to discover meaning or to discover truth. And Paul says that will always fail you. Now, I don't think Paul is saying here that wisdom is bad necessarily. As a matter of fact, I think Paul would be perfectly uh, uh, comfortable with the knowledge that we've made advancements in medicine, science, law. As a matter of fact, the church has benefited from from some of those philosophies even that predate Christ. But we have been very clear and we believe that the scriptures are very clear that it is not a result of human or worldly wisdom. But even in those cases where people who prior to Christ never heard of Christ were able to speak things that were true, Paul says in Romans 1 verses 19 and 20, it is because God has revealed himself in all of creation. Now we call that natural law. Not, not naturalism. Uh, th- that, that's a different discipline. But natural law. Natural law is, is that God has revealed himself in that which he has created. And he has created all things, the entire universe. So when we look at the universe, we see the fingerprints, if you will, of God himself. And our ability to see those fingerprints, to see that image, although darkly, although not clearly, we are able to discern some measure of truth. Well, you know, in the world today, we really view ourselves as better than the generations past. It's almost an arrogance that we have in our culture today that, that we know more, that, we're, that we, uh, we, we've made greater advances, that uh, this, is the, the, this is the time that we'd all like to live in. I mean, even my father would say, I, I don't remember the good old days being all that good because I had to leave the house to... To to, to use the restroom. (laughs) So I can understand some of those technological advances that we might take for granted. But I can also say that, in a very real sense, what I have seen is I have seen us going backwards. I might even be so bold as to declare to you that we have the temerity to to declare that, that, that uh, that the centuries. Uh, prior to the year 1000 and and into uh, uh, the 14 and 1500s would would be called uh, the Dark Ages. You know, professors will say from the fall of Rome to essentially the Renaissance. I I would argue to you that today is the Dark Ages. Although we might be more comfortable with air conditioning and, and iPads and computers, I would say that our culture today struggles with the moral bankruptcy and corruption that many generations in the past would not have even been able to imagine. I mean, we've killed more people during times of war in the 20th century than all of the centuries and all of the wars prior to the 20th century added together. We've paid lip service to the dignity and worth of human life And yet at the same time, when human life impacts our lives and makes our lives complicated or inconvenient, suddenly those lives are dispensable. Do you know that there are more people in slavery today than at any other time in recorded human history? Over 40 million people worldwide are suffering in slavery today. And most of them are in the sex trafficking uh, um, kind of slavery. 71% of them are women, 25% of them are, are children, ages 12 to 14. The average lifespan of a slave that is in the, in the sex trafficking business is between 7 and 10 years. The average little girl, prior to hitting her 20s, has already had six abortions before she reaches an age of that most of us would consider to be adulthood. And experts will say to you that the prolific use of of, of sex slaves around the world, the number one culprit is pornography. A $97 billion industry. More money is spent online on pornography than it is on finance online. I, I don't see us being more advanced. And I think what we have seen over the past couple of weeks that if we're serious about shutting something down on the Internet, we have the ability to do it. Yet we have refused to shut down that which sends hundreds of uh, uh, of thousands of young children into slavery every single day. I I don't I don't think we're (laughs) I don't think we're more advanced. We're not wiser. We're more foolish as a matter of fact one of the most striking facts of human history is that for all of our human wisdom we still can't live together as fellow human beings we can't honor and respect one another and if we can't do that how do we expect to to, to use our human wisdom to be able to gain some semblance of true knowledge of the Living God In verse 21, Paul says that it pleased God to work out his saving purpose through the folly of what we preach. The foolishness of preaching is how God chooses to save the world. Now, what is it that Paul preached? Well, look with me at verse 17, and we'll see uh, just prior to our lesson today for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You see, uh, there's a connection between verse 17 and verse 18. That, it, it, that There is a parallel expression in both of those sentences which shows you what is important and what Paul is trying to discern here about godly wisdom, and that is the cross of Christ. What happens when God saves his people? Well, when God saves us, he brings us into right relationship with himself. We come to know him, and God knows us. And we see God as holy, as loving, and as just. And at the same time, we see ourselves as sinful, in need of a savior, Thus, being saved is all about knowing and being known by God. And this knowing and being known by God is not a result of the speculation of the human mind, but is it, it is a result of the work of God through Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection on our behalf. By his life, Jesus fulfilled the demands of God's holiness in our place, and his righteousness, Christ's righteousness, has become our righteousness. By the death of Christ, he has removed the barrier of sin and the penalty uh, that stood between God and his people. Indeed, this is precisely how God, as Paul says in verses 19 and 20, Indicate, destroys the wisdom of the wise and makes foolish the wisdom of the world. By bringing about by himself and through the cross that which could never be accomplished by any person through human wisdom or effort. As a result, this means of saving people by his action and his action alone has the necessary impact of humbling all those who think they know better than God. And it has the result of showing human wisdom as something that by itself is hollow, ineffective, and at times perpetuates destruction in our own culture. Now, because the knowledge of God is utterly dependent upon him and not us, it's not the natural product of human reasoning then when we pray for God's wisdom, it's a dangerous prayer. Because too often, we as human beings become enamored by by worldly wisdom, which when it looks at this gospel message, when it looks at God's wisdom, it sees it as offensive, foolish, and weak. And that's why the first point that I shared with you earlier is that a dangerous prayer that asks for God's wisdom is deeply offensive to those who are perishing. So if you are offended, if you are offended right now, please consider what Paul is saying to us today about the wisdom God will give us. The second point I want to share with you is that the dangerous prayer for God's wisdom is utter foolishness to those who are perishing. It's utter foolishness. First was, it's uh, It's offensive. Uh, Now it's foolishness. Paul's observed that the unbelieving world considers the cross of Christ to be folly. To the unconverted mind, it is the height of ridiculousness to suggest that a Jewish preacher put to death by some of his own people 2,000 years ago, nailed to a wooden cross, could have any relevance for the life in the 21st century. And there's so many historical and theological errors in that statement Trust me, that's not what I'm saying. That's what the world says to us. Because it wasn't the Romans that put Christ to death. It wasn't the Jews that put Christ to death. It was me that put Christ to death. It was human sin that put Christ to death. And it wasn't we who did anything to Jesus. The book of Hebrews says that. It was Jesus who willingly embraced the cross for our sake. And even when you share that godly wisdom with the worldly wisdom of people, lots of folks will, will, will miss it entirely. What a lot of folks miss, particularly in light of the world's belief that it has come a long ways in knowledge and wisdom, is that in the time of Paul, folks believed it was a ridiculous notion as well. Here's what I'm saying. is The things that folks today say about the faith of Jesus Christ as if it is some new revelation of their new modern worldly wisdom, is the same thing Paul was writing about 2,000 years ago. The arguments are the same. There have been no new revelations that disprove the truth of who God is and what God does. And the same thing that we today continue to engage the world about are the same things that Paul is talking about in the book of Corinthians. As a matter of fact, what Paul says is that the foolishness of what was going on in his time had crept into the church. We don't have that today, do we? (laughs) Essentially, some in Corinth had moved on beyond the cross to something else, something additional, something higher, something more intellectual than what they had been taught. One of the principal founders of the Christian church movement, Alexander Campbell, wrote in 1835, that amidst the uncertainty, darkness, and vice that overspread the world, that was his lead sentence in 1835. His identification of the world in 1835 is that it was a world of uncertainty, a world of darkness, and a world of vice. Would any of us not say the same thing today? My point isn't to, to, to be the guy that continues to, 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 to harass and talk about uh, all of the troubles. What I'm trying to point out is, is that the significant challenges that we meet today are the same significant challenges that our forebears met 100 years ago, 500 years ago, <clears throat> even 2,000 years ago. What I'm trying to say is, is that the impact of human sin is universal for all of us throughout all ages. And this is what Paul is trying to deal with. You see, the dangerous prayer for God's wisdom is utter foolishness to those who are perishing. But what God's wisdom shares with us is is that my, my children, That which seeks to bind you today is the same enemy that sought to bound your grandparents and generations going back all the way to the very beginning. My brothers and my sisters, my friends, if you believe that this is utter foolishness about the cross of Christ and the wisdom of Christ, please consider what Paul is saying to us today about the wisdom God gives to us and how those who are perishing receive it. Finally, the point I want to share with you, sort of finally, is that the dangerous prayer for God's wisdom is weak to those who are perishing. You see, praying for God's wisdom that is displayed in the cross of Christ will always be seen not only as offensive, not only as foolish, but also weak. Notice what what Paul says again in verse 25 where he refers to the weakness of God and in context he is referring to the death of Christ. What he is saying here is, is that the worldly wisdom says that your God must be weak because your God was crucified. How can a crucified hero, how can a crucified God be that which saves us all? How is it that a religion that has its core, that the idea of a hero beaten, broken, bloodied, and dying a death of a common criminal, how can we put any hope in such a weak and hopeless religion, the world asks us? But what Paul is saying here is that that which is seen as failure to the world is in reality God offering himself for our sin and setting for the victory of God in Christ through the resurrection. You see, that is a hero, and we know that deep within our hearts because of that natural law, that one who lays his life down for another,
1: that's
3: a hero to know and to follow. The world might say to us, Well, to keep focusing on the cross and sin and repentance, that's bad form. It's negative. It's weak. It sends the wrong message. But at the same time, Paul says we preach Christ crucified. It is a stumbling block to some, and it is foolishness. It is folly to others. You see, the dangerous prayer for God's wisdom is weak, but it is only weak to those who are perishing. If you believe that this message is weak and pathetic, please consider what Paul is saying to us today about the wisdom of God, particularly how those who are perishing receive it. You know, we talked about this dangerous prayer, how our worldly and human wisdom might lead us to consider it um, offensive, foolish, weak, but I'm, I'm tempted to suggest a concluding point that really underguides much of this entire series, and that is this. The dangerous prayer for God's wisdom is, in most cases, unwanted. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves when we look at ourselves in the mirror before we utter these words of this prayer. The overarching theme of all these petitions that we're talking about over this five-week series, these prayers, is that when we pray them, we need to be ready for the answer. And these answers not only demand action on our parts, like when we pray for vision and light, but they also may require us to submit one of the most valuable and stubborn parts of our beings to Christ. You know, it's one thing to give time, it's one thing to give money, but what Paul is asking us to do, what Paul is saying we must do, is we must surrender our minds to Christ as well, to let go of our own understanding, of our own wisdom, and allow him to regenerate, to make new, to transform our minds to what goes against the very grain of our being. It's a fearful thing. To admit that one is powerless to save themselves. It's a fearful thing to admit the future is unknown. It's a fearful thing to have to look into the days that are ahead of us and say, These days might demand that I change, that I be changed by God's Holy Spirit. And you see, that can only effectively happen when we want it, when we want change in our lives when we want to be different, so much so that we're willing to abandon all of ourselves to claim that which God wants to give us. Trust me, following God can be terrifying sometimes, but he's got this. He's got you. He's got us. It will be okay more than okay. It will be glorious as we walk into the future of God receiving the answer of these dangerous prayers. And so I'm going to ask you to pray with me once again that petition for today. Are you ready? Lord of our heart, give us wisdom to direct us that thinking or acting, we may always discern right from wrong. Amen. If you haven't made Christ Lord of your life, would you do that today? Would you surrender yourself to him that you can be transformed? Say yes to this question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, And do you accept him as your Lord and Savior? Nothing more, nothing less than your whole life, your whole body, your whole mind, your whole spirit. If you've made that decision today and you're on our online.church platform, will you click on the button that you have made that decision? If you're watching on YouTube or listening to us on a podcast, would you send us an email at office at southsuburban.com that together we can celebrate with you as we pray these dangerous prayers together and walk into the future into which God has called us. Amen. At no other place do we see the wisdom of God in action. The world tells us that in order to conquer your enemy, you must have an army that is more powerful and more numerous. The world tells us that in order to Be able to remake your nation or your culture in your own image, you must be willing to conquer and stamp out your enemy. (laughs) Jesus reveals to us the greatest weapon. He says, Love your enemy. He says, Humble yourself and take up your cross. And isn't it amazing how a man who never held a weapon, never engaged in fist-to-fist combat has been able to proclaim his message for 2,000 years. A man who has been named the Prince of Peace I know it's hard, (laughs) almost impossible left to our own strength and our own wisdom. And Yet here we are at the table of the Prince of Peace who says, Love one another as I have loved you. On the night our Lord was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread. And after he had given thanks for it, he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And like manner, when the supper was ended, he took the cup and after he had given thanks for it, he gave it to them saying, this is the cup of the new covenant shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sin. As oft as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. For as oft as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes again. For these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Receive them in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Will you pray with me? Merciful God, Pour your spirit out upon these gifts offered for your glory, bread and fruit of the vine, that they may be for your people, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven, the cup of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the body of Christ. This is the blood of Christ. And now, will you pray with me the prayer that our Savior taught us when he taught us to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. And then from this table, we depart to go into the world with the wisdom of God, remembering that great mystery of our faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again.
0: Thank you again, folks, for being with us this morning. Uh, it's just been a gift to, to have you with us. Thank you also for the folks who joined us yesterday for the Brotherhood Sisterhood breakfast. It was just a powerful story shared by Carter Viss. We're gonna we've taped that. We've recorded that. If you want to see that, that'll be up on our on our homepage in a short while. So um, stay tuned for that. Um, just a couple more things just to share with you guys before we get before I share a final blessing. One, we, we're doing another food and coat drive for um, Mount Air Christian Church area, the homeless, the needy in that area. That's going to be Saturday, February 6th from 10 to noon. Come be a part of that. There's a, a list on our, on our, under our events page what they're asking for this time. They're asking for certain thermal underwear type stuff and then some canned goods, specifically some canned goods for the foods there. Um, so come be a part of that. Again, that's Saturday, February 6th, 10 to noon. Then we're also doing our next blood drive. So come be a part of that. Um, sign up. There's only a limited number of spots. That's going to be on Monday, February 8th from 10 to 2. So you need to register for that. That'll take you right to the Vitalant. Um, Blood Drive website. So come be a part of that. And um, let me share just this final blessing. Um, this is from Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, one of my, um, one of my favorite scriptures. Um, Trust in the Lord with your whole heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and God will make straight your paths. Just pray for straight paths this week. Uh, Pray for wisdom for all of us. I pray this over you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.